Welcome to Behind the Curtain, where we take a closer look at the issues of the day that you might not hear about from the mainstream media. We talk with people who know what's behind the smokescreen of what they want you to see and what's really going on. People whose expertise gives an inside view of the issues that are important to all of us. I'm your host, Jackie Guzdin. Today we're talking to Gleb Sapersky. He is an expert in decision-making, both emotional and social intelligence. He's the president of Intentional Insights. It's an educational nonprofit organization and also the co-founder of the Pro-Truth Pledge. He's written several books. Two of his most important are the Truth Seekers Handbook and Find Your Purpose Using Science. Welcome, Gleb. Thanks so much for having me on, Jackie. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I want to talk a little bit about these two different types of intelligence that you point out. You say one is emotional and the other is social. What's the difference and why is one more important than the other? So emotional and social intelligence are both important in their own ways. Emotional intelligence refers to our capacity to understand our emotions and manage our emotions. We, as human beings, as research shows, are actually driven mostly by our emotions. Perhaps about 80% of what we do is emotion-driven. So being able to understand why we choose to do what we do and then go and do these things and manage and shift our abilities is really important. So, for example, if we, let's say, are in a situation where we have a lot of desserts around us, mm-hmm. we are very tempted to eat more than we quote-unquote, should. Yes. And that's the emotional drive causing us to go and eat these foods. Now, where is that coming from? That's coming from our, our evolutionary heritage, our background. Our minds are adapted not for the current world. They're adapted for the savanna environment. And thus, we are tempted to eat as much sugar as possible because that's what was necessary for survival in the savanna. So people who don't know that will tend to just go with their gut intuition and emotions and go and eat as much sugar as possible. Obviously, it's going to be pretty bad for your well-being in our current environment. So emotional intelligence has to do with that awareness of where our emotions are likely to lead us astray and being able to manage those situations in order to achieve our goals. Hmm. So you're saying that 80% of our drive is emotional. Indeed. There's a lot of research showing that People whose emotional sense is cut off are actually unable to make any decisions, are not motivated to do anything. So about 80% of what we do is driven by our emotions, by our intuitions, by our gut reaction. So, so that's the emotional intelligence part. Yeah. Now the social intelligence part of it has to do with other people, interacting with other people, understanding other people, their emotional drivers, what makes them do what they do. Again, the 80% of our activities that are emotional nature, and being able to manage or influence their abilities, their activities. So that's social intelligence, being intelligent about social interactions. And that's the second component of intelligence that I talk about. So both of them are really necessary for a fully functioning human being who is able to achieve her goals in our modern society. Well, these two types of intelligence, uh, one being emotional, as you described, and the other social, it seems that a politician could really use those two types of um, triggers in a voter, could they not? Absolutely. They definitely do. And 
unfortunately, we as voters are not really aware of how politicians are easily manipulating us. It's their job to manipulate us. That is what they do. <laughs> That's so sad. And so, yeah, and they know that we are mostly driven by emotions. They know that, for example, there's a lot of misinformation out there right now, and people respond to it not because accurate information. I mean, if they wanted accurate information, they would go and fact-check it. Most people don't. Mm -hmm. They take this information that is emotionally appealing. It feels right. That's what emotions feel like. Mm -hmm. It feels right. It's comfortable to our gut reactions, and they go with it. So politicians tell us things, many politicians at least, tell us things that we want to hear, including false things. Uh, many politicians are not above telling us falsehoods in order to appeal to us, get us stirred up and get us to go out and give them money, give them votes, give them volunteer time and support. And so that's unfortunately in our current environment where misinformation is rampant, that's what's happening a lot. And these politicians often end up winning elections because they're able to use emotional and social intelligence to manipulate people very well, especially the social intelligence. So you're saying that it's purposeful, that they know what they're going after, and that's what they do. They go out there to deceive us. Yes, of course they go out there to deceive us. The, again, not all politicians, but the subcomponent of politicians who choose to pursue these tactics, they know very well they're being manipulative, and they are deceiving us. They're emotionally manipulating us into believing falsehoods. And they're masters at it. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't have risen so far in the ranks of politicians. So the higher up you go, the more it is the case that politicians tend to practice these strategies because they are conducive to gaining power, especially in the modern environment. Well, let me ask you a question. In your viewpoint, we'll take two extremes. One is Donald Trump. Does he do that? He does that extensively. He is a master at it. This is one of the reasons that he has succeeded not only in his political career, but in his business career. So, for example, he is well known for get hiring workers and then stiffing them at the end of the contract, so lying to them, you know, making false claims about, oh, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right. And then they are, if they sue him, then he's badmouths them all over town and they're unable to get any future work. Mm. So you know, that's a major way in which he makes money. In the charitable nonprofit sector, he lied extensively about his charitable donations and he manipulated his charity in order to improve his reputation. And of course, he's taken these skills and applied them to the political sector, and he has excelled in our current environment of the spread of misinformation in manipulating people into believing falsehoods in very many ways. Okay, so let's take the opposite Barack Obama. What's he done? I mean, he seems like a really good, upstanding guy. Yes, so Barack Obama does that much less. He has done that. So, for example, if I, if I remember correctly, in 2013, the PolitiFact lie of the year was Barack Obama's claim that you can keep your health insurance after the Affordable Care Act passed, mm -hmm. which you, know, you really couldn't. So it, he represented it something that was appealing to voters, which didn't actually turn out to be true. So he did deceive us in certain situations. Most of the time he did not. So if you look at the, if you look at fact checkers who are experts at evaluating whether a politician lies or not, and at the proportion of Barack Obama's claims, he has many, 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 many less lies than Donald Trump. He's actually 
one of the most honest, high-level politicians out there. And I think that has to do, a lot to do with his decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So he's very in, he's a, the opposite of Donald Trump in that he's not impulsive. He takes a very measured approach to decision-making. He listens to a lot of advisors. He looks through the pros and the cons of each situation, and he evaluates it carefully and thoughtfully before making a decision, as opposed to going with his gut and just going on tuitions, which is Donald Trump's preferred approach. So if the normal citizen is watching the news, what should they look out for to find somebody who's spreading misinformation, somebody who is deceiving us on purpose? What are the indicators? So indi good indicators are that the person is making extremist statements, such as all or nothing. You know, uh, Another indicator is that the person is claiming that he or she is always accurate and others are not. A third indicator is that the person is attacking credible sources, media mm. sources, as liars and deceivers. So whenever someone is attacking the media, that's a very strong signal that you shouldn't trust this person. The media are out there to evaluate and comment on the political scene, and attacks in the media are a very strong indicator that you shouldn't trust this person's, what this person is saying. Yeah, so um, you're right. I mean, the first thing you had mentioned were those extremist statements, which gets everybody all riled up and taking an extreme side. And then this claim that I'm always right, listen to me. And then finally, the attack on the people who are shining a light on your misinformation. I think those are three things we really should be looking at. You also mentioned these fact checkers. Uh, can you tell us who's really credible as a fact checker? I know the Washington Post is mm -hmm. one of them, those that I follow. So the, your best source, if you want to look at credible fact checkers, is to go to the Pointer Institute Fact Checking Network. Mm -hmm. That is a network. So the Pointer Institute has created a standard for fact checkers, yes. which every fact checker which joins the Pointer Institute Fact Checking Network has to commit to. And the Pointer Institute holds them accountable, so it evaluates whether they're sticking to these fact-checking, sticking to these statements, uh, sticking to their standards. So I would strongly encourage people to go there. I think they have, in the U.S., they have over 20 fact-checkers listed, so you can check that out. Oh, big ones in the U.S. that are listed there include PolitiFact, factcheck.org, mm -hmm. and uh, Snopes, and a number of others. So uh, right. that's what I recommend. And for our listeners, uh, Pointner is spelled P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. And I believe mm -hmm. it's a dot .org. I believe so. Um, mm -hmm. So, question, let's turn that around. So we have these great liars and people who are full of misinformation for their own gain that we call politicians. Why do we fall for it? So we fall for it again for what I mentioned before. We go with our guts, we go with our intuitions, unfortunately. Many people are not very emotionally intelligent. It's a, it's a challenging skill set to acquire to learn that our gut is not always right. People just say, hey, I'm going with our gut. You know, I feel this is right. That is a very, very, very bad way of going about evaluating whether something is accurate or not, because we tend to fall for various biases like confirmation bias, where we tend to look for information that conforms to our beliefs and interpret information in ways that conform to our beliefs, unfortunately. 
So whenever you feel something is right, that's actually a pretty good indicator that it simply conforms to your beliefs rather than anything that is true about reality. Mm, right. So reality is often doesn't go in accordance <laughs> with our beliefs. So you should be suspicious of those feelings and fact check especially strongly when you hear a claim that feels true. Feels true. Yeah, because confirmation bias, uh, looking just to confirm the thoughts that we and the feelings that we already have, um, how do you fact check yourself on that? Oh, you, a great way is to go to one of those credible fact checkers that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. Pointer, the Pointer Fact Checking Network. Just see what they have to say about the issue, whether it's your, whether you're on the right or on the left. You can always go and look at these fact, checking, fact checkers and just check what they say about it. So don't uh, trust, you know, far right or far left sources on anything. That's why we have fact checkers. Mm, right. So you're saying question yourself and look at the facts straight on. Don't just believe something because it feels good. Exactly. And yeah. that's a major part of the kind of activism that I try to make in the world through the Pro-Truth Pledge Project. That's beautiful. Listen, I've got to tell you, um, Donald Trump ran this pro-populist campaign and won the presidency where most of the experts that are in the media were shocked by that win. There was a recent um, election for in my district, where I live in the Bronx, for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and it was a David versus Goliath story. She slew um, Joe Crowley, who has great power in the Congress. He's been in the uh, Congress in the Congress for almost 20 years now, and he is a left-leaning Democrat. He's high up there on the power sphere. He was supposed to uh, perhaps have Nancy Pelosi's job, and she was a bartender, waitress. And she won. She won. Um, but I got a different point of view on it in that all of her campaign materials were geared towards me because I was a voter in that district. And I was looking for information on her. All I could find out was that she was 28 years old. I did not find out that she was a bartender until later. And all of her, her information came out was that she was Latina. And uh, they, she began this video, which went viral, and it began with her changing from her heels to her flats on the platform of the six train. And it started out, and she wrote this video that said, they say girls like me shouldn't run for office, and went through visuals of her talking to all the immigrants, talking to all the people who actually live in Parkchester, her neighborhood. And uh, finally, it ends up with, it's time for one of us, which I thought was a slightly veiled attempt at uh, calling out race. And so when I watched that, and then later on we learned that she didn't grow up in the Bronx, that she was born there, but she grew up in Westchester County, went to school in Boston, and moved back to our district which isn't the nicest. I, I, I like my neighborhood. I happen to think it's one of the nicer spots in the Bronx. But um, she moved back there. And when I watched her campaign, when I saw all of the information, I thought, this is very much like Trump's campaign. She appealed to the populace because in my district, 
50% of the voters are Hispanic and only 17% are Caucasian. And she kept battling uh, Joe Crowley and saying, but you're an old white man. Not in those words, but that is what she was implying. Um, so do you see that kind of media manipulation in that? I know that I'm going to take heat from the left because she is now the new darling on the left for saying this. But what's your take on that? Hmm. So it's a, good, it's a good question. There are certainly uh, subtle overtones of, of racial calling out and identification. And there's a psychological phenomenon, again, one of these cognitive biases called the halo effect and the horns effect where we tend to, when we like one characteristic of someone that is important to us, we tend to like the whole person. So, mm -hmm. for example, if you are, are Latino or Hispanic, and that, that identity is important to you, you will tend to like other Hispanics and all of their other characteristics, regardless of whether their other characteristics are good or bad. So you'll have to, have to have a higher estimate of that person. And that's a big cause of discrimination in employment situations. Mm. Ethnic, uh, you know, somebody who's white, somebody who's black, and so on. So this is a problem, obviously, because it causes us to estimate other people incorrectly. It causes us to give a higher reputation to people who don't deserve it, and conversely, a low reputation to people who deserve a higher reputation. So that's a psychological phenomenon, and that may well have played a part in her victory. So I'm much more concerned about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in terms of some false statements that she made. For example, she said in an interview that the U.S. did not add criminal penalties to immigration law until about 1999. And that's not the case. The U.S. actually criminalized unlawful entry in 1929, according to a fact checker that's part of the Pointer Institute network. Another false statement was that uh, Ocasio-Cortez said that unemployment right now is low because, quote, everyone has two jobs. Unemployment is low because people are working 60 to 70 to 80 hours a week and can barely feed their family, unquote. That's simply not the case. The biggest factors for unemployment are strong economic confidence and the long-running economic recovery. So she has made clearly false statements that, you know, they're much, much more problematic than any subtle appeals to racism, I think, race than she might have made. We can clearly see that she is making false statements, and that should be very worrisome for us from the perspective of, and this is an example of how people on the left make false, clearly false statements. Mm, I guess she's learning quickly. <laughs> uh, so let's, well. yeah, you know, so let's talk in this climate of political muck about your pro-truth pledge. What's that all about? So pro-truth pledge is a simple project. It's an effort to get everyone to commit to truthful behavior. Private citizens, public figures like politicians, media figures, civic activists, religious leaders, and everyone, organizations as well. So what we've done, I'm an expert in behavioral science. I and other people who are involved in the pro-truth pledge project, which has on its advisory board, people like Peter Singer, the globally known philosopher, then Lorenzo Neal, who is a conservative Christian pastor, and Stephen Leondowski, one of the most prominent researchers on misinformation. So these are the kinds of people who are involved. 
what we did, the people who are involved, is boil down the research on what makes someone behave in a truthful manner into 12 clear behaviors. Now, when you think about being truthful, you know, you can say you're truthful, somebody else can say that they're truthful, because truth is a very fuzzy concept. It can mean different things to different people. Mm. That's a hard thing to pin down. What we did instead is just figure out 12 behaviors that everyone can agree are pretty much, or pretty much everyone can agree, are associated with truthfulness. So, for example, fact-check information to confirm it's true before accepting and sharing it. And share the whole truth, even if some aspects don't support my opinion. Cite your sources. Acknowledge others when they share true information, even when you disagree, other, even when you disagree ideologically. Ask people to retract information that the reliable sources have disproved, even if you agree ideologically. And celebrate those who retract incorrect statements and update their beliefs toward the truth. Now, the vast majority of us can agree that these behaviors are indeed what we would like to see people practice if we think those are truthful people. And we can observe whether they do so. Uh, well, if a private citizen takes the pro-truth pledge, we can observe whether she practices these behaviors. If Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez took the pro-truth pledge, we can see if she does so. If Donald Trump took the pro-truth pledge, we can see if he did so. And so politicians taking the pro-truth pledge, we can observe them. And indeed, we have a number of prominent politicians who have taken the pro-truth pledge. Really? Including another darling of the left, Tate Horror. My goodness. Well, that that's terrific. Who uh, could you, if you might, mention some of, the, some of the politicians who took the pledge? Sure. So Beto O'Rourke is one example of a politician who has taken the, the pro-truth pledge. Mm -hmm. We have a number of other Congress members who took the pro-truth pledge. Uh, for example, Marsha Fudge and Matt Cartwright and a number of other state legislators who have taken the pro-truth pledge. I think... Um, We've been talking to Evan McMullen, and he is in the last stages of deciding to take the pro-truth pledge. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, lots of folks in the political sphere, lots of folks uh, who are prominent public intellectuals. So I mentioned Peter Singer. Mm -hmm. Other prominent public intellectuals include Steven Pinker, Jonathan Haidt, and Michael Shermer, mm -hmm. and so on. So we have uh, over, let's see right now, about 600 politicians, Republicans and Democrats alike, obviously, about... 800 other public figures of various sorts, mm -hmm. and about 80 organizations, including civic organizations such as Stand Up Republic, which is Evan McMullen's organization, Bridge USA, many others, and prominent media organizations such as Media Bias, FactCheck.com, Columbus Free Press, Media in Action, Fugitive Watch, uh, organizations that are on the right and on the left. And the approach of pledge got positive coverage in both mainstream prominent sources such as The Guardian, Newsweek, Scientific American, The Columbus Dispatch, and also in left sources like Salon.com and right sources such as The Daily Caller. So it has positive coverage from across the board. So if our listeners want to perhaps know more about it and sign up themselves, where could they go? ProTruthPledge.org. Again, that's P-R-O. T-R-U-T-H-P-L-E-D-G-E dot -E org. And it's crucial for as many of us as possible to sign up. Why is that? Well, the reason that politicians like Beto O'Rourke signed the pro-truth pledge is because a number of his constituents signed it, ah. and they asked to sign it. And so that's why politicians are going to sign it, because their constituents are going to sign it and ask them to sign it. Because mm. otherwise, you know, why would a politician want to constrain himself or herself 
to stick with these behaviors unless they get rewarded by the voters of their constituents. So they need to know that their constituents took the pro-truth pledge and that they are respect those politicians who take the pro-truth pledge and are more likely to vote for them. That's the way that politicians are going to sign a pledge. The same thing with media figures. Media figures sign the pro-truth pledge because they know that their listeners have taken the pro-truth pledge, if they're kind of a podcast or a radio show or viewers of its TV, you know, readers of its uh, newspapers, then they contact their radio show hosts or something like that and say, hey, how about you take the pro-truth pledge? And that's the way we've gotten a lot of radio show hosts, prominent media professionals take the pro-truth pledge. Wonderful. So it's really proactive. And people who are listening to this podcast right now, if you care about truth, particularly truth in politics and in media, I encourage you to go to protruthpledge.org and find out more and sign up and put your power against your politicians. Um, Mm -hmm. As Shakespeare says, this above all to thine own self be true. So Gleb, I want to thank you ever so much for coming on and sharing this information with us. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you interviewing me, and I hope you yourself take the approach with pledge. I'm going to the site after this. Excellent. Okay. Great to hear. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been Behind the Curtain, a conversation about the issues that affect our lives. Behind the Curtain is produced under the auspices of Western Connecticut State University. Come back and listen. There's a new show at the start and the middle of every month. I'm Jackie Gusta. Talk to you soon.